Well, good morning, Bridge Church. Um, my name is Dale Becker, and I love this church, and I love all the people who go here. Um, you guys are wonderful. Uh, who in the chat room recognized the song? Anyone? Go tell it on the mountain. A song about evangelism, about witnessing, simply put, um, just sharing the life and message of Jesus and his good news, his gospel. It's an interesting thing to me that I was, of all people at this church, of all the very gifted people, selected to share on witnessing and evangelism. The go tell it on the mountain Sunday, as I like to call it. Of all people, me. I would not say that I'm naturally gifted at either of these two things, but I believe that God has a plan here. Instead of giving, instead of the Holy Spirit leading that an expert would be up here speaking to you, he's given you someone who struggles a long time, along, alongside those who struggle. I just have always struggled with evangelism. It just was, I was, it was easy for me to get up here on stage and sing, but not to go out and share. I look at Jesus as the ultimate evangelism rock star. He met the needs of the people, healing, feeding, listening, prophesying. He hurt with the hurting. He also called people out on their stuff, but, but not in a way that they felt judged, in a way that they felt, oh, God is here. It's a very big difference. He wasn't just out there telling people about the Father and his kingdom either. He was showing them. In fact, he did far more showing than he did talking, as far as I can tell from the scriptures. He went to the people who needed him the most, even though it was socially unacceptable. He was criticized for eating with the sinners. He laid hands on the lepers. Watching Jesus go to work must have been kind of like us watching LeBron play basketball. So gifted. It's almost as if he was born for the game. We all sit down and watch, but none of us would sit there and go, I could do that, but I don't want to. I'm the six-foot white kid who made the basketball team but sat on the bench all the time because I was third string to two seven-foot giant guys. It would take a miracle for me to play like LeBron. No amount of that good old can-do attitude and practice could have made me the basketball player he is. It would take a miracle for the average believer like me to be able to evangelize like Jesus. And although I've searched the scriptures far and wide, I've found nowhere in the Bible does it say that the Lord, that if we pray hard enough, that he'll grow us a foot and make us super spectacular at basketball. But he has promised something concerning evangelism. Jesus promises that not only can we do what he did, but things greater. But I'll be honest, that's a hard pill for me to swallow sometimes. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, those of us who struggle with evangelism, it's a hard pill for you to swallow as well. Might as well say, Lord, make me LeBron, you know. Growing up in church, 
a child of the 80s, a teen in the 90s, college around 2001. You can imagine all the different kinds of teachings and styles of evangelism that I uh, came in contact with. Evangelism, uh, evangelism always scared me, to be honest. I looked up to and venerated those courageous enough to speak to friends and coworkers, walk up to total strangers on the street to tell them about Jesus. I absolutely loved and love hearing about those Holy Spirit wins. There was this story, I can't remember exactly who told it, but this guy who works down in L.A. in the city, he was prompted to walk up to the door of a house in South Central L.A. and knock to share the gospel. Turns out it was a gang house, and the guy who opened the door did not greet him too kindly. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit showed up. They let him in, and he spent hours there talking to people, praying for people, and the Lord even saved some people that day. That's courage. That's an incredible story. That's putting your life on the line. In contrast, I've also seen the pride of man become the center focus of evangelism efforts. I've witnessed well-meaning people evangelize primarily to provide opportunity to puff themselves up and put themselves on a pedestal. If they somehow, in spite of themselves, caused a soul to turn to Jesus, it was just another feather in their cap, just another thing to fuel their pride. When Mary and I was uh, dating, were dating, I remember this was probably late 1990s. Um, we were outside of the old Ikea in Burbank, you know, where Ikea used to be, and there used to be this walkway. And um, on the other side of the walkway, there were some, some believers who were, had their Jesus is Lord signs, and they were, they were ministering. And uh, we were holding hands, all cute, like couples do. And we were walking along the, you know, just, I think we were going to Ikea. I don't know why. But we were going to Ikea as high schoolers. And one of those guys stopped us. And he says, are you even married? And I was taken aback. I was offended because I knew what he meant. And it wasn't so much what he said. It was that this vile look in his eyes, just this hatred and this judgment. And honestly, I have no problem with street preaching. I love street preaching. I love people who go out there and, and witness. But I don't classify what happened to me and Mary witnessing or evangelism. And I mean, I, I do believe that people who think, I'm just going to say it, people who think going out and judging people in the streets, I, I think they need to check themselves. That being said, once, one other time, I was walking in the, with my mom in uh, Old Town, Pasadena, and we were walking along. I was having a really hard day. We were talking through some of the things that, you know, just the situation, and uh, it was a really bad day. And I remember a man walked up to me, and he said, sir, and I was like, oh, no, and he said, sir. My name, I, I can't remember his name. We'll say his name's Dave. He says, my name's Dave from Fellowship Monrovia, and I just want you to know God sees you, and he knows your situation. 
And he starts saying things that no human person would have known. And he prophesied to me in that moment, and I'll always remember that. And I was just really thankful that God saw me in that moment. He was evangelizing to a believer, you know. Uh, So amazing. All this to say, I've seen evangelism done incredibly, and I've also seen it done poorly. I've seen a lot. I've learned a lot. I've trained for evangelism a lot in college and in church, and I was uneasy most of the time. It's funny, though, having been exposed to so many different kinds of evangelism, so many different methods and ideologies, my understanding of these of evangelism turned out to be very, very narrow. Of all the stuff that I went through with classes and everything, it, my, my evangelism in my brain, what it was, was so, such a narrow thing, like unhealthy narrow. Looking back, I feel like evangelism in my mind was, yes, of course, sharing about Jesus, but it had to be particular. It had to be public. It had to be grand. It had to be uncomfortable. It had to test your faith. It almost had to have sort of a, like a cringe factor to it, like we were all on some sort of Christian fear factor, if you know what I mean. Evangelism had to highlight people's sin and Jesus' death and crucifixion. And you couldn't forget the terrors of hell. And I'm not here to discount these things wholesale. I'm just expressing what made me uneasy about it all. And I would sit there in my uneasiness, and I would ask myself, do I lack courage or faith in the Lord? Was I too concerned about what people thought of me? Were people literally going to hell in droves because I was too scared to do my part? Because I I literally have heard that. Not, Not about me, but people saying that. Was Jesus going to deny me eternally because I denied him here? I think most believers, most honest believers, have asked themselves these questions before. Admittedly, these can be heavy, heavy questions, at least to me. Do any of you deal with the same heaviness when exploring the subject of evangelism? Luckily, Jesus has words for this heaviness. It's not of him. Let's read Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's, I'm just feeling prompted. Let's close our eyes and hear this as a prayer. As Jesus speaking to us. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. Amen. For many of you who struggle with this subject, remember these words, even as I continue speaking today. Jesus did not ask you to come on a journey with him to lay heavy, heavy loads on your shoulders for you to carry, of feelings of self-judgment and despair. 
No, as we just read, he promises rest. So today, as we, as I speak about evangelism, as we explore the subject, I'm not going to be pushing. There's going to be no striving. There's going to be no calls to recommitment to evangelism or rededication to getting out there and witnessing to folks more often. I just want to approach the subject maybe a little differently than we have before so that we can perceive evangelism from a larger angle, from a broader scriptural perspective. Churches, the ones that I grew up in at least, always viewed evangelism from a particular angle, like I said. That is, we evangelized and shared the good news of Jesus with a particular narrative, viewed through this scripture on people being lost, and another scripture about sin, and another scripture about being saved, and another scripture about becoming a disciple, and another scripture about going to heaven. And like I said, I'm not discounting or attacking any of this. Please hear me. It's all scriptural. It's all true. But if we only view evangelism and the good news of Jesus that we evangelize through these neatly picked and perfectly curated scriptures, we run the risk of having an incomplete picture of it. And with religion especially, working with incomplete pictures can be really destructive, unbalanced, and also ineffective. It can also be really annoying to those we are trying to reach. As a musician, I can't help but think in musical terms. And in my view, in my experience, I believe that God, when it comes to evangelism and witnessing his love, has given us the equivalent of a symphony orchestra to work with. Now, if you don't know, in music, a symphony orchestra is one of the most versatile types of groups you can make music with. You have strings and you have percussion. You have brass and woodwinds. You have different kinds of tones. You can be very soft. You can be very loud. You can make soft, comforting music, and you can make brash and confrontative music. And like a symphony orchestra, the symphony of tools that the Lord gives us for evangelism is diverse and wide, not narrow. All of these elements and textures are at our disposal to suit the occasion to best reach the seeker with the love of Christ. And at least in my experience, I don't feel like I grew up knowing that I had a symphony orchestra of tools to evangelize. I don't even feel like I grew up feeling like I had a, a band, a, you know, like a rock band. I felt all alone, honestly, I felt all alone and I feel like the Lord only gave me this cowbell. And I'd be out there like, Go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain. That's all I thought I had. <laughs> Encountering different kinds of people in all different places in life, all the situations, and my only response was the cowbell. 
The same tune, the same song, the same script, the same thing for all these different kinds of people. Honestly, the one-size-fits-all approach to evangelism I grew up with simply just does not feel loving because it doesn't meet people where they're at. And when I think of things devoid of love, I think of Paul who said in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with tongues of men and, men and angels but do not love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Or in evangelism, an evangelist who can only play the cowbell. What I'm getting at here is that if we work to view evangelism and the good news that we witness more holistically, looking at, looking at it from the broader witness of Scripture, maybe, maybe we'll be more effective to reach the hurting and the needy and the depressed and the lonely of 2020 and of 2021. Maybe if we realized we had this arsenal, the symphony at our disposal to help people, and not just some cowbell, but tools, actual tools that can help set captives free, that can help heal the sick, and dare I say, raise the dead. Maybe we would all feel more equipped and ready to operate in this gift. The Holy Spirit had another way of putting it when he spoke to my heart when I was preparing this sermon. He said, if you only knew all the tools and all the power that you had at your disposal when you step out in my name and witness, you would never have any reason to feel uneasy. Amen. So let's look at a couple different ways we can view evangelism from a broader angle, from a broader perspective. Can you put up my first picture? This is a guy on a mountaintop. He's gone to tell it on the mountain to tell people that Jesus Christ is born and the people are yelling back, tell us something we don't know. In 2020, if you're going to go up on a high place and shout something down to the people, whether it be on Facebook or Instagram, or you actually go up on a, on a literal mountain to shout, please tell the people something they don't know. Most of the unbelieving world knows that according to the Bible, that Jesus came to die for their sins. They know it. They know a lot of people think they're sinners, that they're outcasts, depraved. They've heard it. And it pretty much just is one ear and out the other. But what if instead of just saying the same thing, we do something loving? We take the time to pray that the Lord would reveal the scripture or words to speak to a particular person. For instance, what if the Lord wanted you to share the gospel by presenting Jesus as the one who brings light into the darkness? I mean, we need to look no further than Jesus' own mission statement. I have come as a light into the world so that no one who believes in me will remain in darkness. Now that is telling someone something that they probably didn't know. Jesus promises to bring light into the darkness we find ourselves in. 
He hasn't come to expose you with his light. He's come to save you and light a path. Jesus can help us light the darkest areas of depression. He can help you find purpose in a way. Do you know where the way of Jesus leads? In Luke 1.78, it says, Because of the tender mercy of God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine on those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. In all of the division and the chaos and unrest in 2020, evangelize this, that the path that Jesus lights when we place our trust in him is the path to peace. When we follow Jesus, we too can be part of the solution and no longer part of the problem. And that, in 2020, is gospel or good news. Can we, can we show my meme one more time? So show the love to people by telling them something they don't know. Search the word. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Look for prompting on what tone, what tune, what feel to share the gospel with. If you're being led and not just on autopilot on some script, you'll be sure to be evangelizing in love. Next up, we live in a culture that is yearning for hope today. Yeah, say that in the say that in the chat room. Today. The needs of the moment are so great and so overwhelming that people are looking for hope that is present tense and not deferred. The proverb is true. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. And so has the kind of evangelism that is all too focused on what happens when we die and not, does not highlight what Jesus means for us today. How do we fix this? I have an idea of how. God has given us another symphony, and it's a symphony of names and descriptors for himself and his son. Yet for some reason, when it always comes to evangelism, we always drive home Savior, Savior, Savior. And yes, he is our Savior, glory be to God. However, people sometimes need to see God as more than only a Savior from sin. And God knows this. Today, people are looking for food to eat. They need to hear about Jesus, the provider. They are looking for companionship. They need to be introduced to Jesus, the friend. They are sick. They need to be introduced to Jesus, the healer. They are looking for someone to lead them. They need to be introduced to Jesus, the shepherd. Some people have some bad problems right now. They need to be introduced to Jesus, the answer. Some people are living with no purpose. They need to be introduced to Jesus, the way. They're looking for protection. They need to be introduced to Jesus, the son of God of angel armies. They're looking for peace. They need to be introduced to Jesus, the prince of peace. I mean, this list goes on and on and on. Jesus has a symphony of names and descriptors. Evangelize and share them all. 
Remember from our first point about listening to the Holy Spirit and not being on autopilot. If we want to share the name, names of Jesus in love, we need to be sensitive and led by God to do so. Lastly, and I believe it's my most important encouragement this morning, I'd like to share one more meme with you. Well, it's not a meme. It's a picture. It's a picture from the Internet. It's a book that I used to read as a young boy. Do you remember the Hardy Boys, Oh, Snap, It's Jesus? It is my favorite. I'm joking. It is, this isn't an actual Hardy Boys novel, but it looks like the disciples, like, hey, there's Jesus walking on the water. All creepily kind of out there in the darkness. Can people type that in the chat, please? Oh, snap, it's Jesus. It is my firm belief that there is no greater evangelism than that of letting your light shine and living in such a way that people around you recognize the God you serve. I'm not talking about putting our faith on display like the Pharisees. I'm just saying that it's difficult to live a life on fire for God, treating people well, to live a, ble a life blessed by his goodness, to live a life of generosity because God is generous and not have people just naturally take notice. When we live by the precepts of God's wisdom and not by the ways of man, especially in 2020, people will recognize Oh, snap, it's Jesus. When we stand firm and do not worry when the world is going crazy, when there is unrest, when there are pandemics and wars and rumors of wars, when we do not freak out, people will recognize, oh, snap, it's Jesus. When others fall away from community, fall out of touch because of social restrictions, depression, or other troubles, and you are the friend who actively stays in touch, even a, a random call or birthday wish, people will recognize, oh, snap, it's Jesus. When you make an active effort to pray for your friends and family every day and ask the Lord to prompt you to reach out when people have a need arise, People will certainly recognize, oh, snap, it's Jesus, because your call will be timely. It will be a nod from God to them that they are seen and cared for. That is evangelism. That is good news. Lastly, when you go out of your way at work to go above and beyond, when you work as if you are working for Jesus himself, people will recognize, oh, snap, it's Jesus. In this increasingly post-truth world, in this increasingly post-God culture, in this increasingly dark world, those who follow the Lord's leading and who are a conduit, conduit to his kingdom's light will be increasingly unmistakable. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let's pray. Lord, we just take a moment to hear from you, Lord. To hear your voice 
to hear your call. Father, tear down anything in our ideologies, in the way we do things, in the things that we think of you and who you are that do not serve you and your kingdom. It almost seems as if sometimes the church, and I speak of myself, feels like the pandemic has put your ministry on pause because we're not stepping foot into the church every Sunday. We even sometimes think, oh, maybe we'll, we'll skip the live stream. Or maybe we'll skip the prayer call. Or maybe we'll just skip reading scripture altogether. But Lord, we know you are moving because you must. You are moving because you must. There are people hurting. There are nations raging. And there are millions of people caught in the crossfire. And Lord, Lord, more than ever, may we understand that everything that has led up to this Every Bible study, every sermon we've sat through, every prayer, all the training, all the discipleship, it is not on pause now. It has led up to this moment. All of the thought that has gone into evangelizing and witnessing, it has led up to this moment. So, Lord, I pray that you would activate your church Activate us, Lord. Give us a clear picture of what you want us to do, what you want us to look like, how you want us to move, how you want us to speak. And may we not rely on scripts. May we not rely on things we did, but on your spirit and your spirit alone. In December of 2020, and all of 2021. May we be on guard to deliver your good news. We pray this in your name. Amen.